Fantastic. Fantastic. Really excited for the session today. I'm here with John. We're starting the 14-day challenge, how to not become a disposable artist. Lovely to have everyone here. I'm really looking forward to the 14 days of uh, lessons, 14 days of learning, 14 days of getting new information and learning how to not become a disposable artist and how to succeed in the music industry. Let's go. 100%. Welcome, Dynamitri. Thanks for joining on this challenge. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of backstory. Dynamitri and I first met um, a year and a half ago in a hacking music training and yes. Dynamitri just got in and tore it up. So oh, yeah. um, we had a I great time. Yeah. We had yeah, a great it was, time. It, absolutely legendary. I mean, it's been a year and a half, but I still remember it very fondly. And it's been the highlight of very many sessions that I've done. Easily the best one. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I thought it'd be helpful, Dynamitri, to kind of just unpack the challenge a little bit sure. before we jump in. Um, so the context here and kind of why I love what we're about to do is there's so many challenges for artists in 2023. We've got artists kind of imploding on the runway. We've got um, 100,000 songs being uploaded a day. And, you know, the music part of it is relatively easy, right? Artists can create great music, but it's that career building part under the music that's a challenge. So that's, you know, what hacking music is all about, is building the back office under your music and behind your music. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to just every day talk about one of the tools and activate one of those tools um, with our viewers live in the group now as they're as they're viewing now or if as they're watching you know in their own time zone mm -hmm. um, so the goal for this challenge is really to empower artists to not be victims to not have to play the label lottery and luck game trying to get signed trying to be desperate but to really strengthen them and give them some fortitude and some muscle if you will around their career to where they um you know if they choose to sign with a label that's great but recently there was 51 percent of all grammy winning artists were independent artists so they're their label they're they're building their business they're building their back office for themselves. So we want to talk about those things, the things that strengthen and support and sell the great music that artists are creating every day. So that's kind of a little bit of the why on the challenge. And I'm excited to, I'm excited to, uh, to jump in here. So Dynamitri, do you want to kind of give a little bit of backstory on what your, um, what got you here? Uh, in, in 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 the group or on this particular particular just, uh, just you know you're you're a a digital manager you manage artists yes. you manage their yeah. properties you're an international oh, yeah. man of mystery you're in London one day you're in yeah, Mexico the next Mexico, day next day next day yeah. yes, yes and uh, and where are you from originally Tan well I, yeah I'm I'm part Polish part German I've been living in London for okay. uh, 
close to 16 years now. Um, I've been working in the music industry for a majority of the time. Started off as a music journalist for AOL um, okay. uh, many, many years ago. Uh, worked on one of their music blogs um, in the early days of Facebook um, and Twitter. And mm -hmm. this sort of, uh, yes, we, the interesting thing about that one was that we actually had to use social networks to uh, promote the music blog. And um, it was at a time when social media actually started gaining momentum. This gave me really good knowledge to yeah. um, and a foundation to you know work with social media and music. So I crossed over and I worked with some record labels, um, independents, uh, some majors. I worked with artists directly. I worked with different companies in the music industry. Everything always um, revolved around um, social media and music. So my background is hugely in music industry and social media and finding ways to use social media to help uh, artists or record labels out in getting the uh, voice out, getting the music out, getting the videos out. Right. Um, and this is what I live, love and breathe. You know, social media, um, digital marketing, music industry, um, yeah. all those, this, all, all three of those. So you're kind of the behind the scenes you know, the artist yeah, is out front and you're kind of um, yeah, managing yeah, yeah. the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm the guy who's in the background, you know, just um, pulling all the strings and yeah, I'm yeah. making sure everything works <laughs> the way it should be. I love it. Great. So let's, um, thanks for sharing, Don Dimitri. Let's, um, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, what we're going to get into today. Um, I think it may be helpful before we get into the actual training to just talk um, a bit about um, hacking music and how it kind of came to be. Um, so this is where we're going today. The first challenge today is about super songs. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the insanely great. Songs are super important right we're these are the vehicles that artists will um will ride throughout their career sorry my computer's backing up here so let's um let's talk a minute about two trees because i think this kind of frames a part of the mission at hacking music um we see artists you know what, what people see every day is the music passion for artists right they see the fun, whizzy, sexy stuff. But what most people miss is kind of the underneath the iceberg, right? What people don't see is the productization, thinking about staging experiences, building teams, super songs, doing deals, SaaS, and SaaS automation, back-end stuff, project management and mindset. So hacking music really is kind of that bottom of the iceberg. We believe that artists can figure out their talent. And we see that every day with the artists we work with. They can manage the creative part of what we're doing. Uh, but where they fall short is in the platform building underneath it. Uh, and I think Ted Goldthorpe from Sony may have nailed it on the head. He, he called hacky music an operating system for the way the music marketplace actually works. Um, and I think what he meant by that is this, you know, there's kind of two trees, like here's the, 
here's the artist who's only focused on the music, right? There's a thin root system and a good storm comes along or a big wind and that artist gets destroyed, right? The tree dies. There's not a root system to really support the artist. Uh, but what we do, we want to build out a healthy root system. We want that tree to be able to withstand storms, floods, winds, what we want that tree to live for as long as it can live a healthy root system. Um, and that brings us to the idea of, of our four T's their talent, training, technology, and team. So let's, let's take a second and back up and just talk about these four T's because I think they really directly affect the root system for artists. Um, so talent is the music, right? It's the fun, sexy stuff. It's the being on stage, being in the studio, um, your show, connecting with people, right? It's the stuff most artists wake up every day passionate about doing. Then there's the training. Like, how do you unplug from some of the mythology out there? There's um, a lot of people in the thought leadership space who maybe haven't really done anything, but they're good at talking. Um, so how do you kind of ignore those loud voices and really find your band of brothers? Um, it's about the mindset. How do you put your mind in a condition to advance when everybody else is chasing their tail, right? What are the force multipliers, the business models um, around your talent, right? And, and they, some people, artists used to go to college for this. I went to Belmont for this uh, back when that made sense. Um, and then if you're able to like, graduate from talent and training, then maybe you start to implement some back office automation. Maybe you have an e-commerce site or newsletter stuff. It's the, the revenue building part of it that makes money while you're sleeping, right? The SaaS integration, all that stuff. And then if you're fortunate to have the talent, the training and the tech, then at that point, a team makes sense. They say you don't get a record deal until you don't need a record deal. Um, and that's kind of what happens here. It's like, if you choose to go the record label path, that's great. Other people will just go independent. So it's up to the artist. But at this point, you're building your team around what you're doing, your, your allies, your your board of directors, co-venture partnerships. So these four T's of talent, training, technology, and team, that really is the, the, the four legs of the table, if you will. Um, so where Hacking Music comes in is it's at the training stage here. Artists are generally able to figure out their, their music, right? So we come in here to help artists build out the back end of their career. Um, and this really, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a war because you're competing for real prize, real things in the real world. So we want to get your mind in a condition to advance when everybody else is trying to win a singing contest or trying to be number one on the reverb nation charts. It's like, those are fake awards. Those are faux awards. They don't really mean anything in the real world. So your mindset has to really be specific in where it's going. Um, and in a real sense, we want to get you back to being an artist. Um, so hacking music distills things we've learned from uh, being a writer and producer at Sony, producing upstreaming artists to Warner and Sony, joint ventures with Garth Brooks Company, American Music Award, 
nominated for song of the year, video of the year, doing thousands of sync licenses, um, heard on 24 singles, 15 that charted in the top 10, six that reached number one, raising money for our portfolio companies. And it's a proven model. We've worked with family estates, Hall of Fame artists and indie artists for 15 years, and we've stress tested it, my teaching students at Belmont and Harvard. Um, so those are, that's kind of what it's, it's takeaways from, from our 15 years of boardrooms, management offices, um, really kind of private conversations um, with our partners and allies. So let's talk about talent a little bit, right? Because talent is the core of what we do. Music is important, right? Uh, and then we talked about training, technology, and teams. So this gives us our root system. Talent is important, right? Music does something to the molecules in the room, as Cheryl Crow said. And she's exactly right. Music changes people, it connects people, it changes history, it affects history. Um, this doesn't mean you have to have everything together and to be perfect, but you do have to want to actually win and not just get lucky. Um, so. I think if I can just quickly add, yeah. I think it's really important what you just said, you know, about wanting to win because yeah. as you mentioned a little bit earlier on, there are a hundred thousand songs uploaded every day to all the streaming right. services. And this is, you know, probably if we had, if we will have similar call this time next year, it'll be 200,000 yeah. or more. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and it's, and it's not only about, um, about making music or having, having great music, you know, it's, it's, it's about so much more, so right. much more than, than just creating a great track. Right. And that's what we're going to talk about this this challenge. You know, it's about the experiences we stage for our fans. It's about building the platform under our music. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we're going to you're going to be developing your talent throughout your career, right? But you have to get competitive and you have to want to win at a high level. So, I've heard it said that talent uh, does the right things on stage and careers are built from doing the right things off the stage. Um, so, so we're not going to talk about the stage part of it. Like you, you can, you can figure out your talent. We're going to talk about the things off stage, the stuff you do to support, strengthen and sell your talent. Um, so that moves us into training, right? The habits, the mental models, the business models, frameworks and force multipliers that 10 X your effort. There are tools that we use every day and we, and we use with our artists that are force multipliers. They help us work better, faster, and smarter. Um, so we're going to talk about some of those. Um, it's, I love this quote here. Talent will never let you do better than your mindset will allow. So we want to pay attention to how we're thinking. Our mindset matters. You can really have a low resolution mindset or you can have a high resolution, you know, achieving mindset. And that's where we want, that's what we're about here. And that moves us into technology, the systems, processes, and automation. We don't want to set goals. We want to set systems. Systems run 24 seven and make money while we're sleeping. And lastly is our team, right? 
That gets us to the, the four T's, talent, training, team, and tech. And what hacking music does is we fill those gaps in. We build the moats. We stage the experiences. We build the frameworks, force multipliers, e-com, productization, business models, doing deals. And what you have at this point is, you know, most artists are like this. They're really high in talent and low in training and everything else. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's this artist here that's about to get destroyed. But what hacking music artists and the artists we work with, we really work to strengthen these four T's. Uh, and that gives us, over time, that gives us a root system that is healthy, profitable, allows for better creativity and better connection with fans. Um, so this is what we call a moat, you know, to where it's able to withstand you know, storms, flooding, what, you know, whatever the tree's going through. So this is what we're wanting to build. We're wanting to build artists um, that are healthy, profitable, and can withstand. So does that make sense? Oh, yeah. 100%. Good. So let's, let's talk about song. Why, why songs today? Um, so the good, the bad, and the insanely great. What we want to do here, uh, and the context around this module and why I love it is, is that artists um, have a very limited amount of time, right? And they need to invest their time writing in the efficient way. They don't want to waste their time in just writing songs that don't matter. They want to need to, we call it, building your songs in the right neighborhood. Um, so the goal for this module that I want you to achieve is to be able to really um, understand where you're building your songs. Are you building them in a neighborhood that statistically and historically generates 80% of the revenue for artists? Or are you gonna build them in the wrong neighborhood that really just kind of wastes your time and efforts? So we want to be efficient with our, with our time. And this really is the spirit of this module. Um, winners focus on winning. Losers focus on the winners. Let me read that again. Winners focus on winning. And losers focus on the winners. So let's workshop that and unpack that. What does that mean? So what we've seen is that losers often just become fans. They are on the sidelines, focused on the winners. They're kind of the cheerleaders, right? Whereas winners focus on doing the things that it takes to win. They're not looking to their right, looking to their left, trying to compete with people around them. They're competing with themselves. And they're doing the things, they're, they're filling their gaps in a way to where they're focused on how do you win? How do you get the ball across the goal line? What are the things we need to do to win? We're not focused on cheerleaders, Tom Brady, whatever. It's like, how do we become that? Uh, it's a very different headspace. So that's the spirit of this training. Um, things like being a business, sales, revenue, productization, accounting, doing deals, team building, those kind of things. And the question that most artists ask is like, well, why can't I just write what I feel? And of course you obviously can write what you feel, but 
what I want to do is I want to give you a tool that allows you to really target and write the songs that are going to affect you and your success. Getting this right drives revenue, not only for you, but for your kids' kids. You don't want to waste your time writing songs in the, building your songs in the wrong neighborhood. So what Barry Gordy know, knew, what Sony ATV Tree knows, what Garth Brook knows, we want to bring that to bear on what we're doing today with our artists. We want to let their hindsight be our foresight. So here's the question. Are you building your songs in the right neighborhood? As our friend Brent Baxter says often. Each song has a place. You either place that song on stage with the artist alone or you place that song in the heart of every listener. So what we're talking about today, we want to activate this tool that helps you put the song in the heart of the listener. All right. So let's jump into the training. Super songs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what are super songs? So let's list a couple of them here. So obviously, Don't Stop Believing, super song. Margaritaville from Jimmy Buffett, super song. My Way, Frank Sinatra. 99 Problems, Jay-Z, Friends in Low Places, Like a Virgin, Beat It, Living on a Prayer. A handful All of classics. All classics. All classics. All classics. So what we want to do in this section here is we want to reverse engineer these songs. And that's what we've done over the past 15 years is we've, we're going to, we've distilled these and we're going to talk about why these songs not only make money for the artists, but make money for the, their kids, kids, right? It's a generational type thing and the fans connect to them in a super powerful way. All right. So these are some examples, kind of obvious, you know, hit songs that everybody connects with. So we want to ask why, what do these songs have in common? Um, so as you were thinking about songs, there are songs you write and there are songs that maybe make your album or your EP, right? And then maybe there's a hit song there. If, if you've got a team around you to do that. And then at the tip of the iceberg, you have super songs. This is what we're talking about today. Okay. Uh, so let's look at a couple attributes of what these songs have in common. I'm going to take a hit of the uh, Starbucks here. So super songs outlive the artist, right? They, they're the vehicle that the artist drives throughout their career. Uh, super songs have concepts that are universal themes, right? You don't have to explain them. Super songs tell the listener's story the fan story, not just the artist story. It's a big difference. Baby artists love to tell their story. Successful artists tell the fan story. They create songs that the fans can step inside of. It's kind of like a film. When you think about The Godfather or Star Wars, you don't have to understand much. You just immediately get enveloped in it. And that's what super songs are. They're kind of three-minute films. So does anybody know what it's like to blow off steam and have a good time? Raise your hand. Yeah, kind of everybody does, right? And that's kind of why rock and roll all night steps into that space. 
Does anybody know what it's like to work long hours and hate your job? Yes, I'm raising my hand. Kind of like 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton, right? You don't have to explain it. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. You, you just immediately have a vehicle that can connect to millions upon millions of people. Uh, anybody know what it's like to lose someone to cancer? Yeah, kind of me. Every, you know, everybody connects with that. Kind of like Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. So the songs do the work for the artist. They don't have to be explained. They're commonly upbeat. Um, uh, some things that super songs are, aren't. They're not dependent on the charts, right? They're not dependent on RIA numbers. So all this legacy stuff kind of goes away into the back ground. They're not dependent on production, style, or genre. They're not dependent on age. They're not dependent on production. Um, they're beyond those things. So let's, let's look at the tool that we're going to step through here. So this is what we call the song stickiness matrix, right? What is stickiness? Uh, how would you, Donimitri, how would you think about stickiness? Uh, well, definitely uh, a quality of a song that allows it to remain with you, that uh, allows it to, with you as a listener. Um, yeah. A quality of a song that uh, makes it relatable um, mm -hmm. to other people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think you hit it on the head. It's, it, it relates to you easier. Mm. Um, so how well a song sticks with the listener, right? It clarifies the overall message for the artist, right? You don't need to give them Tommy used to work on the docks. Union's been on strike. He's down on his luck. Boom. I get it. Right. First three lines. I, I'm, I can connect with that, right? It strengthens fan engagement, right? Because you're telling their story. You're actually, super songs kind of bless the listener in that they help them tell their story, right? Helps them get through things. It expands the visual for the artist. Uh, it speeds up production. Um, it was, I produced hundreds of records for artists and and you know, there's nothing worse than having to produce a song that is a good song. When you have a great song, those songs just produce themselves, right? You don't have to polish a turd. You don't have to add bells and whistles. The songs kind of uh, simplify the production process. Um, it obviously excites radio because then they can connect through to the their audience. Um, and it allows everybody on your team to work smarter and not just harder, right? It makes everybody's job easier. So this is kind of how we think about stickiness. Clarifies message, strengthens engagement, expands the visual, speeds up production, excites radio, works super smart. And maybe most importantly, it saves you money and makes you money, right? At the end of the day, <laughs> cutting songs that are good songs are way more expensive in 10 different ways. You got to spend more money on turds. 
Um, so with that being said, we have an idea of what stickiness is. Let's look at the matrix here. Um, and again, this is something that we developed in working with Sony Tree for years and working with Garth Brooks for years. Um, we uh, talked about this at Harvard with Perry Gordy, who's Barry Gordy's son. And he said, this is exactly right. This is what Barry Gordy, no, knowing it existed or not, his instincts led him to this. So uh, Barry Gordy um, has great instincts. Some of us mere yeah. mortals, you and I, Don Dimitri, we may not. <laughs> so let's, let's understand this matrix and spend some time kind of running the bases here. So here's a dude. He's a dart dude, right? I didn't know there were competitive dart people, but evidently there are, right? So songs are like this. You know, we want to hit the right, you know, the, the target here, the bullseye. Um, so are we building our songs in the right neighborhood? Smart artists plant their songs in the box with the most revenue and reach and purposefully avoid those that do not. All right, so on the bottom of the matrix here is place. Um, songs can either live in a personal space over here on the left side, or they can live on, they have a universal place on the right. Um, songs also have a time. They have a time and a place. This is time on the left. They're either up-tempo on the top or down-tempo ballads on the bottom. Okay. So... Let's look at down-tempo personal. This is called the quadrant of death. All baby artists who start writing songs immediately start here. They're telling their hyper-emotional, most feeling, you know, only they can relate to it, right? Nobody else can really get it. Baby artists all start here. I've done it as well. I mean, yeah. I don't make music no. myself anymore, but I used to. I used to make music when I was uh, in my in my teens, and I remember actually. Mm -hmm. you're, you're totally right. Like my when I think of it, my first tracks that I wrote and I recorded, they were like uh, they were very very personal. First of all, they were very absolutely, personal, and it might have been quite hard for the people to actually relate to it. Um, yeah, hundred you're hundred percent right, and and we have to start there, right? We can't skip that stage. Um, but we don't want to stay there. As soon as we know the dartboard and become that dart guy, we want to kind of graduate from this box. Um, so that's Q1. I call it the, you know, the, the wrist slitter, the, the open wound where you're always just telling your most wounded story and you expect everybody else to drop everything and pay attention to it. Doesn't work that way. Almost impossible for songs here to have a life. Um, so let's move on to the next quadrant. Up-tempo songs that are still hyper-personal. Um, these songs have a little more energy just because they're up-tempo, but at the end of the day, they're still kind of open-woundy songs. You're expecting people to enter into your world rather than letting your song become their world, right? Um, so the third quadrant is the universal theme and it's a down tempo ballad and we'll look at some examples in each of these quadrants um these 
have way more reach because of the universal nature, right? And the super song quadrant up here at the top is universal themes and reach and up tempo. Okay. So let's, and songs on this side of the matrix over here drive 80% of the revenue for artists and publishers. So if you're writing songs and you have maybe six hours a week to write songs, you want your dart to only hit this side of the board. If your songs are over here, don't write those songs. And that's what great songwriters, producers know. Avoid songs over here and spend your time over here. All right, so let's uh, look at some examples here. Um, well, actually, let's, let's talk about the quadrant of death over here. Young artists write these 80% of the time, right? It's kind of self-indulgent. Um, these are my innermost feelings and the world has to stop. These generate only 20% of the revenue for some of the largest uh, publishers and record labels in the world. Um, they tell the artist stories, not the listener's story. Whereas over here, these songs are the majority of all super songs. They generate 80% of the revenues for the top artists and labels and are cut 90% more than the other side. And 90% plus of sync revenues come from songs that are over here. Nobody wants to license songs on the other side. We only want to license songs that connect to people, right? So um, let's move on. Listeners can find themselves within the songs and can personally identify with them, right? We're not making it hard for them to love the song. So let's look at some examples here. Actually, let's listen to, uh, listen to a few. So it's really hard to find songs in this quadrant of death because most producers, most labels know that these songs are DOA. They're dogs. You don't spend money on these songs. I think, I think, sorry, I, I think yeah. one thing that might be happening quite often from my experience is that songs can start as down tempo and personal, but then they get sort of polished into being more uh, relatable to other people. So an artist might start and they might write lyrics that, you know, might be personal, but yeah. they would rework them to make them more relatable and appealing to a wider wider uh, yeah. uh, wider audience because obviously as we as, as we just as we just spoke um if it's only relevant and and relatable to the to the author not the audience then it just wouldn't stick yeah um, and and i think it's both and like artists need to write songs that tell their story right you you need to be authentic you need to be or, or organic in what you're doing but in addition to that you need to tell the audience's story and it's it's a very it's a yeah it's another level of accuracy as you're writing songs. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Absolutely right. So let's listen to an example of this and see how excited we get about this. This is uh, an example from, I think, Journey's first record. Can you hear that? Yeah, yeah.
You get the idea. We don't have to listen to the whole thing. No. But the song is almost impenetrable. You're like, okay, what the hell is this about? It, you know, it's, and, and nothing against the authors of this song, but as they're developing writers, they grew beyond this, obviously, as Neil Sean continued to drive forward. Um, so that's an example of In My Lonely Feeling. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this. This makes me feel tired. I want to leave, you know? Um, and that's what quadrant one songs do. They're hyper personal. No one knows what you're talking about in their ballads. Okay. So let's move up to the next quadrant. Um, songs up here are still very personal in nature, but have some energy to them, right? Songs that come to mind, um, Marlena on the wall from Suzanne Vega, temples of the Sphinx from Rush. Welcome Home from Coheed and Cambria would be songs up here. Uh, so let's take a listen to um, songs here. Even if I am in love with you, all this to say would speak to you. Observe the blood, the rose tattoo of the fingerprint on me from you. Other evidence has shown that you and I are still alone. We skirt around the danger zone and don't talk about it. Marlena watches from the wall. My mocking smile says it all. She records the rise and fall of every soldier passing. But the only soldier now is me. I'm fighting things I cannot see. I think it's called my destiny that I am changing. Marlena. Okay. Um, and nothing against Suzanne Vega. I mean, one of the important takeaways here is that this is not about melody and chords. It's, it's beyond that resolution of thinking. So, I mean, that's one of my favorite songs melodically. I think it is brilliant. And I became a Suzanne Vega fan for life because of that song. Um, so the tempo, the up-tempo, the energy's there, but still it's kind of hard to figure out what the, what are we talking about? And maybe if you have three or four hours to figure it out, you can kind of figure out what it's about. Uh, but it's hard, right? Um, so let's move over into this super song side of things here. We have songs like Live Like You Were Dying. It's a ballad, but everybody gets it. Friends in Low Places from Garth Brooks. It's kind of a mid ballady type song, uh, but it's a universal theme, right? When a man loves a woman from Percy Sledge is down here. The energy's low, but still everybody connects with the song, right? And also, let me also say, if at any point you're like, hey, this really makes a lot of sense, what I'm hearing, I, I think I'd like to explore this further. Um, 
we we build this out with and for artists so you can just reach out to us um at any point and we'll be happy to kind of uh talk to you about building this out more with or for you um because it's hard to do alone totally hard so let's um let's um listen to a song here in this squad two big hit records in a row mr percy sledge when a man loves a woman yeah. A classic, right? And look, if, if you're into 60s R&B and you were there for that, that's great. But that song outlives the 60s. That song still makes money for the kids of the kids of the kids, right? Um, all right, so let's move on to the super song box up here at the top. A couple examples there. Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi, Like a Virgin, 99 Problems, Don't Stop Believing, 9 to 5. What are some others, Dynamitri, that come to mind? Uh, oh, my God. Um, oh, you're putting me on the spot right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely, definitely um, a lot of the uh, 80s, 80, 80s catalog, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, some, I would say that also some... Uh, you know, early 2000s, probably like Lady Gaga might be one of those. You know, yeah. she has some really, really good songs. Um, uh, there was a guy called Max Martin. Um, sure. He's a sure. music producer. Um, he had done a lot of a, a, a lot of work with like Britney Spears, with Katy yeah. Perry, and Sync in the 90s. Yeah. Actually, Boys in the 90s as well. You know, some of those um, I would feel would go there as well because mm -hmm. they are, you know, they are up-tempo. Um, they are they're universal. Um, they, 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 you know, they, they are relevant to a lot of people. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like, if you were there in the nineties, that's great. And they mean a lot to you, but yeah. if you weren't there, they still connect to you. You know, it's like sweet child of mine. If you were there in 88, yeah, it means a lot to you. That's part of your story. Right. Mm. But if you weren't there in 88, it still connects to you. Steve Thompson did a great job of choosing that song because of what we're talking about here. Mm. And we've got some comments, Queen, Freddie Mercury catalog. Yeah. 
ABBA catalog, definitely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. ABBA, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm reading some of the comments here from Sakia and Daya. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's the songs that matter most to us are, are on this side of the matrix, right? So as we're writing songs or we're responsible for artists that are writing songs, we want to make sure that they're only writing songs on this side of the matrix. Again, 80% of the revenue, 90% plus of the sync revenue happens from songs over here. Dolly Parton, absolutely. She knows this. Dolly Parton doesn't waste her time over here on the left side. She's only on the right side. Um, so let me tell a story of, um, of a writing session. We, um, we had a joint venture with Garth Brooks company and one of our writers was writing with a very well-known writer and it was a big deal because this guy's had 200 cuts, 50 number one. It's a big deal, right? You don't want to blow that session. Um, and something really interesting happened during that session. Our writer went to write with him and spent three and a half hours in the session. And so I said, well, how'd it go? What would you write? Assuming they wrote, right? And it turns out they only looked at themes, topics, titles of songs for over three hours. And at first I thought, well, what the, that's a waste of time. Why didn't you just write, whip something up and write it? And what we learned was this, he was looking for songs, topics and titles that only are on this right side of the matrix. Um, and they didn't write anything the whole session. They came back the next week, spent another hour or two looking at titles, titles only. And then once they found the title, they wrote to that title. It's called writing from a concept not writing to a concept. Baby artists always write to a concept. Professional artists write from a concept. And the song they wrote went on to, uh, it was nominated for Song of the Year, Video of the Year. Uh, it was a song by George Canyon called I Want You to Live. It's about the uh, husband who died in the war. And he, if he were alive, he would tell his wife that, hey, I want you to live. I want you to keep going. Don't give up. And obviously, I get teared up thinking about it, but it's like, that's, that's the kind of song that will make everybody's job easier and make money for everybody uh, rather than making their job harder. Um, so that's kind of a real world example of what this looks like in the wild. It's like you take your time to find the topics that you want to write from the topics, not write to a topic. You're, if you're writing to a topic, you're just guessing, trying to figure things out and it doesn't work. So this is a quick um, overview of the song Stickiness Matrix. Um, and let's listen to... And everybody already knows and connects with this song. But just to show an example of one of the super songs.
So everybody knows the song, right? But that's, that's an example of a super song, right? And let me say this too, is like, I don't want to cheapen this or make this sound like it's easy. Like you just flick a switch and you get this right. I mean, if you look at Neil Sean, I mean, he wrote In My Lonely Feeling back in 72, whenever it was. And it took him years to write Don't Stop Believing. Um, so you want to be patient with yourself, right? Um, this isn't something you get right over time. This is something you, this is something you get right over time. You don't get it right today, right? You're not just going to go, Hey, I'm going to write this. Don't stop believing level song. doesn't happen that way. Um, so as we're buttoning up today's training, let's, let's look at a path that is very common And this N shape here. Um, if you look at in my lonely feeling up to homemade love and this comes out of a case study we do for journey and we we go much deeper in the hacking music academy in the hacking music arena um, but i'm just kind of giving you a quick tip of the iceberg here but this is an example of four songs journey wrote in my lonely feeling homemade love open arm don't stop believing this end shape here is a path that all writers go through, right? They start writing those crappy songs in Q1, and then maybe they bump up to Q2. And maybe if they're persistent and work hard, maybe they get to a Q3 song like Open Arms. And then if they keep going, build a team and build a platform, then they can write the Q4 song. So this pattern, like you said, Dynamitri, you started here, I started here. Every writer always starts in Q1. But the question is, is will you continue to push and go through this end shape? This is kind of a little uh, treasure map, if you will. Um, don't beat yourself up. Give yourself time and trust the process of this map here. So that's a kind of a quick training for today. Um, you know. Again, I don't want to cheapen this or make it sound easy, but this is something that works for us and works for the artists we work with. Um, so my, my request for you is to consider, you know, if this makes sense to you, you know, consider letting us look at your stuff, look at your business and kind of talk about what you're doing. We might be able to help you. Um, so. That's what I have for us today, Donimitri. Any thoughts? Fantastic. I think it's been a great session, really. You know, very eye-opening, uh, very, very informative. And um, I think it's really, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, it's one of those things where you sort of look at that and you listen to that and you're like, this seems obvious, but it's really important for someone like you to actually put it in the right words, you know, because, because, It's, yeah. it's obvious when you have the roadmap. You're yeah, like, that's yeah, exactly. that's how it works. Yeah. But if you're starting out as a young writer and you don't have a map forward, you know, this is what we've used every day for 15 years, you know. So I want to give that to the group here as we're mm -hmm. talking about the training. Whether we work together or not, it's not, I mean, we're not here to sell you anything. So put your credit cards away. We just want to give you some tools to kind of activate and to put in your toolkit because artists have it tough in 2023. Oh yeah. Right. So, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's so much music out there and there's so much, 
uh, information being thrown at the people that it's not easy. You know, as we said at the beginning of the session, it's not only about writing uh, music or writing even good music. You know, it's so much more. And you have to actually put some structure to the whole process yeah. of writing, creating, recording, releasing, which we'll talk about, you know, later on. But yeah. Um, yeah, hundred percent. And and this this kind of acts as a guardrail to protect you from like your car's kind of going off the rails and going to fly over a cliff. Let these guardrails kind of protect you from going over the cliff as a rider. You know, let their hindsight look. Barry Gordy knew some stuff, oh, right? Yeah. It it may have been just intuition for him. He was like genius level guy. He he didn't need a matrix, right? But for us. People in the trenches, the mere mortals, you know, we can use that and we do use that every day with our artists. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I have for us today. Um, I am super excited about what's coming oh, up yeah. the next uh, tomorrow and the rest of the challenge. So um, we'll be back tomorrow at the same time and we'll, uh, yeah. we'll dive into a new training topic tomorrow. Really looking forward to that. I am too. Looking it's going to be a blast. Um, <laughs> Thanks everybody for jumping on. Thank you. We will uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another tool that you can activate and use within your team that day. So we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. See ya. See you soon, guys. Funny how you seem to feel better once again you turn away Don't be afraid to let me wake you up You never get the things you want to confound by fear to try All your inhibitions just contaminate your mind Let me steal your sorrow, my appetite for you runs wild Things in secret that you dream of making come to life